Welcome to Fast Asleep. Thanks, listeners, for again being with us. Today, we bring you another two-for-one. Have you ever read or heard The Lottery? It's a legendary short story, and as many of you already know, you can hear it anytime on Fast Asleep. It's episode number one. Sorry, it's not 156. It's episode number 56. We have two more now from the lottery author, Shirley Jackson. Born in San Francisco, she wrote six novels and over 200 short stories. Though her The Haunting of Hill House is considered one of the best ghost stories ever written, much of her short fiction cannot be classified as either horror or mystery. Her precise, relatable descriptions, often as not, end in just a gentle twist. Now let's get personal about Shirley Jackson. She was described by her son as buoyant. He stated she was a hard worker who loved to tell jokes and always served meals on time. Gee, what a nice review. From the family's chief breadwinner, at age 48, the hard work may have caught up to her. Sadly, she died of a heart condition. Well, in addition to the lottery and to today's two tales, that honest, you're going to hear any minute now, um... There are three other Shirley Jackson stories on Fast Asleep. There's episode 124, The Possibility of Evil. There's episode 149, The Summer People. And episode 184, The Demon Lover. You can tell. We we love Shirley Jackson here. (laughs) Um... Oh, yeah. As you go to listen to the second story, and as you near the end of it, ask yourself something. Is she kidding? So finally, you ready, everybody? Let's tuck in. Four. Like mother used to make. And got a letter from Jimmy. Both by Shirley Jackson. David Turner, who did everything in small, quick movements, hurried from the bus stop down the avenue toward his street. He reached the grocery on the corner and hesitated. Oh, there had been something. Butter? (gasps) Butter! he remembered with relief. This morning, all the way up the avenue to his bus stop, he had been telling himself, butter, don't forget butter, coming home tonight. When you pass the grocery, remember butter. He went into the grocery and waited his turn, examining the cans on the shelves. Canned pork sausage was back. Oh, and corned beef hash. Oh, a tray full of rolls caught his eye. 
and then the woman ahead of him went out, and the clerk turned to him. How much is butter? David asked cautiously. Eighty-nine, the clerk said easily. Eighty-nine, David frowned. That's what it is, the clerk said. He looked past David at the next customer. Hmm. Uh, a quarter of a pound, please, David said, and a half dozen rolls. Carrying his package home, he thought, I really ought not to trade there anymore. You'd think they'd know me well enough to be more courteous. Well, there was a letter from his mother in the mailbox. He stuck it into the top of the bag of rolls and went upstairs to the third floor. No light in Marcia's apartment. The only other apartment on the floor. David turned to his own door and unlocked it, snapping on the light as he came in the door. Tonight, as every night when he came home, the apartment looked warm and friendly and good. The little foyer with the neat small table and four careful chairs and the bowl of little marigolds against the pale green walls David had painted himself. And beyond, the kitchenette. And beyond that, the big room where David read and slept and the ceiling, of which was a perpetual trouble to him. The plaster was falling in one corner and no power on earth could make it less noticeable. David consoled himself for the plaster constantly with the thought that perhaps if he had not taken an apartment in an old brownstone, the plaster would not be falling. But then, too, for the money he paid, he could not have a foyer and a big room and a kitchenette anywhere else. He put his bag down on the table and put the butter away in the refrigerator and the rolls in the bread box. He folded the empty bag and put it in a drawer in the kitchenette. Then he hung his coat in the hall closet and went into the big room, which he called his living room, and lighted the desk light. His word for the room in his own mind was charming. He had always been partial to yellows and browns, and he had painted the desk and the bookcases and the end tables himself, had even painted the walls, and had hunted around the city for the exact tweedish tan drapes he had in mind. The room satisfied him. The rug was a rich, dark brown that picked up the darkest thread in the drapes. The furniture was almost yellow. The cover on the studio couch and the lampshades were orange. The rows of plants on the window sills gave the touch of green the room needed. Right now, David was looking for an ornament to set on the end table, but he had his heart set on a low, translucent green bowl for more marigolds. And, well, such things cost more than he could afford. After the silverware, he could not come into this room without feeling that 
It was the most comfortable home he had ever had. Tonight, as always, he let his eyes move slowly around the room, from couch to drapes to bookcase, imagined the green bowl on the end table, and sighed as he turned to the desk. He took his pen from the holder and a sheet of the neat note paper sitting in one of the desk cubby holes and wrote carefully, Dear Marcia, don't forget you're coming for dinner tonight. I'll expect you about six. He signed the note with a D and picked up the key to Marcia's apartment, which lay in the flat pencil tray on his desk. He had a key to Marcia's apartment because she was never home when the laundry man came or uh, when the man came to fix the refrigerator or the telephone or the windows and someone had to let them in because the landlord was reluctant to climb three flights of stairs with the pass key. Marcia had never suggested having a key to David's apartment, and he had never offered her one. It pleased him to have only one key to his home, and that safely in his own pocket. It had a pleasant feeling to him, solid and small. The only way into his fine, warm home. He left his front door open and went down the dark hall to the other apartment. He opened the door with his key and turned on the light. Uh, this apartment was not agreeable for him to come into. It was exactly the same as his, foyer, kitchenette, living room, and it reminded him constantly of his first day in his own apartment when the thought of the careful homemaking to be done had left him very close to despair. Marsh's home was bare and at random. An upright piano a friend had given her recently stood crookedly half in the foyer because the little room was too narrow and the big room was too cluttered for it to sit comfortably anywhere. Marsha's bed was unmade and a pile of dirty laundry lay on the floor. The window oh, had been open all day and papers had blown wildly around the floor. David closed the window, hesitated over the papers, and then moved away quickly. He put the note on the piano keys and locked the door behind him. In his own apartment, he settled down happily to making dinner. He had made a little pot roast for dinner the night before. Most of it was still in the refrigerator and he sliced it in fine, thin slices and arranged it on a plate with parsley. His plates were orange almost the same color as the couch cover, and it was pleasant to him to arrange a salad with lettuce on the orange plate and the thin slices of cucumber. He put coffee on to cook and sliced potatoes to fry. And then 
with his dinner cooking agreeably, and the window open to lose the odor of the frying potatoes, he set lovingly to arranging his table. First, the tablecloth, pale green, of course, and the two fresh green napkins, the orange plates, and the precise cup and saucer at each place, the plate of rolls in the center, and the odd salt and pepper shakers like two green frogs. Two glasses. Now, they came from the five and dime, but they had thin green bands around them. And finally, with great care, the silverware. Gradually, tenderly, David was buying himself a complete set of silverware. Starting out modestly with a service for two, he had added to it. Until now, well, he had well over a service for four, although not quite a service for six, lacking salad forks and soup spoons. He had chosen a sedate, pretty pattern, one that would be fine with any sort of table setting, and each morning he gloried in a breakfast that started with a shining silver spoon for his grapefruit, and had a compact butter knife for his toast, and a solid heavy knife to break his eggshell, and a fresh silver spoon for his coffee, which he sugared with a particular spoon, meant only for sugar. The silverware lay in a tarnish-proof box on a high shelf all to itself, and David lifted it down carefully to take out a service for two. Mm. It made a lavish display set out on the table. Knives, forks, salad forks, more forks for the pie, a spoon to each place, and the special serving pieces, the sugar spoon, the large serving spoons for the potatoes and the salad, the fork for the meat, and the pie fork. When the table held as much silverware as two people could possibly use, he put the box back on the shelf and stood back, checking everything and admiring the table, shining and clean. Then he went into his living room to read his mother's letter and wait for Marcia. Well, the potatoes were done before Marcia came. And then suddenly the door burst open and Marcia arrived with a shout and fresh air and disorder. She was a tall, handsome girl with a loud voice, wearing a dirty raincoat. And she said, I didn't forget, Davy. I'm just late, as usual. What's for dinner? Oh, you're not mad, are you? David got up and came over to take her coat. I left a note for you, he said. Oh, I didn't see it, Marcia said. Haven't been home. 
Oh, something smells good. Fried potatoes, David said. Everything's ready. Golly! And Marcia fell into a chair to sit with her legs stretched out in front of her and her arms hanging. I am tired, she said. It's cold outside. Mm, it was getting colder when I came home, David said. He was putting dinner on the table. The platter of meat, the salad, the bowl of fried potatoes. He walked quietly back and forth from the kitchenette to the table, avoiding Marcia's feet. I don't believe you've been here since I got my silverware, he said. Marcia swung around to the table and picked up a spoon. Oh, it's beautiful, she said, running her finger along the pattern. Pleasure to eat with it. Dinner's ready, David said. He pulled her chair out for her and waited for her to sit down. Marcia was always hungry. She put meat and potatoes and salad on her plate without admiring the serving silver and started to eat enthusiastically. Everything's beautiful, she said once. Food is wonderful, Davy. Mm, I'm glad you like it, David said. He liked the feel of the fork in his hand, even the sight of the fork moving up to Marcia's mouth. Marcia waved her hand largely. I mean everything, she said. Furniture and Nice place you have here, and dinner and everything. Well, I like things this way, David said. I know you do, Marcia's voice was mournful. Someone should teach me, I guess. Well, you ought to keep your home neater, David said. You ought to get curtains at least and keep your windows shut. I never remember, she said. Davy, you were the most wonderful cook. She pushed her plate away and sighed. David blushed happily. Well, I'm glad you like it, he said again. And then he laughed. Oh, I made a pie last night. A pie? Marcia looked at him for a minute and then she said, Apple? David shook his head and she said, Pineapple? And he shook his head again, and because he could not wait to tell her, said, Cherry. Oh, my God! Marcia got up and followed him into the kitchen and looked over his shoulder while he took the pie carefully out of the bread box. Is this the first pie you ever made? Well, I've made two before, David admitted, but this one turned out better than the others. She watched happily while he cut large pieces of pie and put them on other orange plates. And then she carried her own plate back to the table, tasted the pie, and made wordless gestures of appreciation. David tasted his pie and said critically, mm, I think it's a little sour. I ran out of sugar. Oh, it's perfect! Marcia said. I always loved a cherry pie. Really sour. This isn't sour enough, even. David cleared the table and poured the coffee and 
as he was setting the coffee pot back on the stove, Marcia said, Oh, my doorbell's ringing. She opened the apartment door and listened, and they both could hear the ringing in her apartment. She pressed the buzzer in David's apartment that opened the downstairs door. And far away, they could hear heavy footsteps starting up the stairs. Marcia left the apartment door open and came back to her coffee. Landlord, most likely, she said. I didn't pay my rent again. When the footsteps reached the top of the last staircase, Marcia yelled, Hello! Leaning back in her chair to see out the door into the hall. Then she said, Why, Mr. Harris! She got up and went to the door and held out her hand. Oh, come in, she said. Oh, I just thought I'd stop by, Mr. Harris said. He was a very large man, and his eyes rested curiously on the coffee cups and empty plates on the table. Oh, I don't want to interrupt your dinner. Oh, that's all right, Marcia said, pulling him into the room. It's just Davy. Davy, this is Mr. Harris. He works in my office. This is Mr. Turner. How do you do, David said politely, and the man looked at him carefully and said, How do you do? Sit down, sit down, Marcia was saying, pushing a chair forward. Davy, how about another cup for Mr. Harris? Oh, please don't bother, Mr. Harris said quickly. I just thought I'd stop by. While David was taking out another cup and saucer and getting a spoon down from the tarnish-proof silver box, Marcia said, You like homemade pie? Say, Mr. Harris said admiringly, I've forgotten what homemade pie looks like. Davy, Marcia called cheerfully, how about cutting Mr. Harris a piece of that pie? Without answering, David took a fork out of the silver box and got down an orange plate and put a piece of pie on it. <sighs> His plans for the evening had been vague. They had involved perhaps a movie, if it were not too cold out, and at least a short talk with Marcia about the state of her home. Mr. Harris was settling down in his chair, and when David put the pie down silently in front of him, he stared at it admiringly for a minute before he tasted it. Say, he said finally, this is certainly some pie. He looked at Marcia. This is really good pie, he said. Oh, you'll like it. Marcia asked modestly. She looked up at David and smiled at him over Mr. Harris's head. I haven't made but two, three pies before, she said. David raised a hand to protest, but Mr. Harris turned to him and demanded, Did you ever eat any better pie in your life? I don't think Davy liked it much, Marcia said wickedly. I think it was too sour for him. Oh, I like a sour pie, 
Mr. Harris said. He looked suspiciously at David. A cherry pie's got to be sour. Well, I'm glad you like it anyway, Marcia said. Mr. Harris ate the last mouthful of pie, finished his coffee, and sat back. Well, I'm sure glad I dropped in, he said to Marcia. David's desire to be rid of Mr. Harris had slid imperceptibly into an urgency to be rid of them both. His clean house, his nice silver, were not meant as vehicles for the kind of fatuous banter Marcia and Mr. Harris were playing at together. Almost roughly, he took the coffee cup away from the arm Marcia had stretched across the table, took it out into the kitchenette, and came back and put his hand on Mr. Harris's cup. Oh, don't bother Davy, honestly, Marcia said. She looked up, smiling again as though she and David were conspirators against Mr. Harris. I'll do them all tomorrow, honey, she said. Sure. Mr. Harris said. He stood up. Let them wait. Let's go in and sit down where we can be comfortable. Marcia got up and led him into the living room, and they sat down on the studio couch. Come on in, Davy, Marcia called. <sighs> the sight of his pretty table covered with dirty dishes and cigarette ashes held David. He carried the plates and cups and silverware into the kitchenette and stacked them in the sink and then, because he could not endure the thought of their sitting there any longer with the dirt gradually hardening on them, he tied an apron on and began to wash them carefully. Now and then, while he was washing them and drying them and putting them away, Marcia would call to him sometimes, Davy, what are you doing? Or, Davy, won't you stop all that and come and sit down? Once, she said, Oh, Davy, I don't want you to wash all those dishes. And Mr. Harris said, Oh, let him work. He's happy. David put the clean yellow cups and saucers back on the shelves. By now, Mr. Harris's cup was unrecognizable. You could not tell from the clean row of cups which one he had used, or which one had been stained with Marcia's lipstick, or which one had held David's coffee, which he had finished in the kitchenette. And finally, Taking the tarnish-proof box down, he put the silverware away. First, the forks all went together in the little grooves, which held two forks each. Later, when the set was complete, each groove would hold four forks. And then the spoons stacked up neatly, one on top of another in their own grooves. And the knives in even order, all facing the same way in the special tapes in the lid of the box. Butter knives and serving spoons and the pie knife 
all went into their own places. And then David put the lid down on the lovely, shining set and put the box back on the shelf. After wringing out the dishcloth and hanging up the dish towel and taking off his apron, he was through and he went slowly into the living room. Marcia and Mr. Harris were sitting close together on the studio couch, talking earnestly. My father's name was James, Marcia was saying as David came in, as though she were clinching an argument. She turned around when David came in and said, Davy, you were so nice to do all those dishes yourself. Mm, well, that's all right, David said awkwardly. Mr. Harris was looking at him impatiently. I should have helped you, Marcia said. There was a silence, and then Marcia said, Well, sit down, Davy, won't you? Mm, David recognized her tone. It was the one hostesses used when they didn't know what else to say to you, or when you had come too early or stayed too late. Mm, it was the tone he had expected to use on Mr. Harris. James and I were just talking about... Uh, Marcia began and then stopped and laughed. <laughs> what were we talking about? She asked, turning to Mr. Harris. Nothing much, Mr. Harris said. He was still watching David. Well, Marcia said, letting her voice trail off. She turned to David and smiled brightly and then said, Well, again, Mr. Harris picked up the ashtray from the end table and set it on the couch between himself and Marcia. He took a cigar out of his pocket and said to Marcia, do, do you mind cigars? And when Marcia shook her head, he unwrapped the cigar tenderly and bit off the end. Cigar smoke's uh, good for plants, he said thickly around the cigar as he lighted it, and Marcia laughed. David stood up. Ooh, for a minute, he thought he was going to say something that might start... Oh, Mr. Harris, I'll thank you to... But what he actually said, finally, with both Marcia and Mr. Harris looking at him, was, uh, I guess I, I better be getting along, Marcia. And Mr. Harris stood up and said heartily, Oh, certainly have enjoyed meeting you. He held out his hand. And David shook hands limply. Uh, yeah, I guess I better be getting along, he said again to Marcia. And she stood up and said, I'm sorry you have to leave so soon. Yeah, lot, lots of work to do, David said, much more genially than he intended. And Marcia smiled at him again as though, they were conspirators, and went over to the desk and said, Don't forget your key. Surprised, 
David took the key of her apartment from her and said goodnight to Mr. Harris and went to the outside door. Good night, David, honey, Marcia called out, and David said, Thanks for a simply wonderful dinner, Marcia, and closed the door behind him. Mm. He went down the hall and let himself into Marcia's apartment. Uh, the piano was still awry, and the papers were still on the floor, the laundry scattered, the bed unmade. David sat down on the bed and looked around. It was cold. It was dirty. And as he thought miserably of his own warm home, he heard faintly down the hall the sound of laughter and the scrape of a chair being moved, and still faintly the sound of his radio wearily. David leaned over and picked up a paper from the floor. And then he began to gather them up one by one. And now Got a letter from Jimmy. Sometimes, she thought, stacking the dishes in the kitchen. Sometimes, I wonder if men are quite sane, any of them. Maybe they're all just crazy, and every other woman knows it but me. And my mother never told me. And my roommate just didn't mention it. And all the other wives think I know. Got a letter from Jimmy today, he said, when he was unfolding his napkin. Oh, so you got it at last, she thought. So he finally broke down and wrote you. Oh, maybe now... Maybe now it will be all right. Everything's settled and friendly again. Uh, what did he have to say? She asked, casually. I don't know, he said. Didn't open it. Oh, my God, she thought, seeing it clearly all the way through. Right then, she waited. I'm gonna send it back to him tomorrow unopened. I could have figured that one out by myself, she thought. I couldn't have kept that letter closed for five minutes. I would have figured out something nasty, like tearing it up and sending it back in little pieces, or getting someone to write a sharp answer for me. But, oh, I couldn't have kept it around for five minutes. I had lunch with Tom today he said, as though the subject were closed. Just exactly as though the subject were closed, she thought. Just exactly as though he never expected to think about it again. Well, maybe he doesn't, she thought. 
my God. I think you ought to open Jimmy's letter, she said. Maybe it will all be just as easy as that, she thought. Maybe he'll say, all right, and go open it. Maybe he'll go home and live with his mother for a while. Why? he said. Start easy, she thought. You'll kill yourself if you don't. Oh, I guess because I'm curious. And I'll just die if I don't see what's in it, she said. Hmm, open it, he said. Just watch me make a move for it, she thought. Oh, seriously, she said. It's so silly to hold a grudge against a letter. Now, against Jimmy, all right. But not to read a letter out of spite is silly. Oh, God, she thought. I said silly. I said silly twice. Well, that finishes it. If he hears me say he's silly, I'm through. I can talk all night. Why should I read it, he said. I wouldn't be interested in anything he had to say. Well, I would. Open it, he said. Oh, God. She thought, oh, God, oh, God. I'll steal it out of his briefcase. I'll scramble it up with his eggs tomorrow. But I won't take a dare like that. He'd break my arm. Okay, she said. So I'm not interested. Make him think you're through. Let him get nicely settled in his chair. Let him get to the lemon pie. Get him off on some other subject. I had lunch with Tom today, he said. Stacking the dishes in the kitchen, she thought. Maybe he means it. Maybe he could kill himself first. Maybe he really wasn't curious. And even if he were, he'd drive himself hysterical into a hysterical state, trying to read through the envelope locked in the bathroom. Or maybe, maybe he just got it and said, oh, from Jimmy, and threw it in his briefcase and forgot it. Oh, I'll murder him if he did, she thought. I will bury him in the cellar. Later, when he was drinking his coffee, she said, Going to show it to John. John will die too, she thought. John will edge around it, just like I'm doing. Show what to John, he said. Jimmy's letter. Oh, he said. Uh, Sure. (sighs) A tremendous triumph captured her. So, he really wants to show it to John, she thought. So, he just wants to see for himself that he's still mad. He wants John to say, really, are you still mad at Jimmy? And he wants to be able to say, yes. Out of her great triumph, she thought, he really has been thinking about it all this time, too. And she said, before she could stop herself, Oh, I thought you were going to send it back, unopened. He looked up. I forgot, he said. Guess I will.
I had to open my mouth, she thought. He forgot. The trouble is, she thought, he really did forget. It slipped his mind completely. He never gave it a second thought. If it were a snake, it would have bit him. Hmm. Under the cellar steps, she thought, with his head bashed in and his goddamn letter under his folded hands. And it's worth it, she thought. Oh, it's worth it. Good night.